Welcome to the Daily Mushroom Podcast. Uh, today we have Alana Kitt on the podcast. Uh, she's a friend of mine who works for a medicinal mushroom research and development company out of Toronto. Uh, so Alana and I talk about her experience in working with that company and this uh, this really cool new emerging sector. And uh, we get into some uh, of our own experiences in working with medicinal mushrooms as well. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. All right, here we are. Alana Kitt, thanks for joining us today. Thanks Very for excited me. to hear about yeah, your your journey and um and what you're currently doing in the the psychedelic research and development space. Yeah. Um, very very interesting stuff. So to kick us off, tell us about Alana Kitt as the human being. <laughs> the journey, the story. The journey. journey. Yeah, like where are you from? <laughs> you're in Toronto right now. Um and um, I'm pretty sure you're from the island. Correct me if I'm wrong no. there. Okay, no. there we go. I wish. Let's start with that. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually out in Victoria doing my master's, master's science um, for about two and a half years. And I'm originally from just outside of Toronto in the Niagara region, wine region. Yeah. So <laughs> grew up um, in the country and then, yeah, did my master's and have been in like the health and wellness space kind of my whole life <laughs> yeah. um so everything kind of led me to psychedelics you know from from plant medicines and kind of my roots and upbringing you know um, my mom and my grandparents having the ukrainian roots we all kind of grew up with some um, you know a lot of plant medicines and mm. and foraging and farming and just like very hands-on domestic work so it's like kind of the root and backbone of me and mm. just like kind of built on that into into the health and wellness space so I did my background is in you know kinesiology and um holistic health mm. and so everything everything kind of led into psychedelics and the pandemic has kind of been an initiator for that so actually the great have to accelerator. Thank you for that. yeah the great accelerator it's a great reset mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. been called a lot of things here. Um, <laughs> so, were your parents into parents and grandparents um, with using any like psychedelic medicines, or was that like a natural progression from uh, just your upbringing, like you, you spoke on there? Yeah, um, I mean, the Ukrainian indigenous roots, I would say, is like it kind of leads into like the mushroom foraging and the shamanism, as I guess, as mm -hmm. they would say. Um, I mean, I can't date back as far as to like Ukrainian shamans, yeah. <laughs> but but mushrooms are a big factor in foraging. Is um, it's a it's a Ukrainian tradition. So I kind of grew up, cool. um, you know, on our property, we would go out in the fall and and pick wild mushrooms and try to identify them and then cook them up. And so that was, yeah, that was kind of my upbringing, and it's a big staple in like the Ukrainian cuisine. So. I think, uh, yeah, mushrooms. What's what's the favorite the favorite uh, edible mushroom for the Ukrainians? Ooh. Um, there's, oh, I don't know. They're all like wild. They're all very wild mushrooms, not really identifiable, but <laughs> they're. I I can't really um say the English form. I only know them in the Ukrainian names. Give me the Ukrainian name. Different. I believe I'm like one eighth Ukrainian. I'm I'm not really hundred percent on that. Yeah, I think. Uh, um, well, my when mom we tried the mobs, they're called like pipenka, and 
that's kind of like we make like mushroom um dumplings and put them in our borscht which is really yummy yeah shout out to uh dumpling drop out here the the local company if you haven't yeah you have had it it's so good (laughs) yeah they are they are uh are really really doing some amazing things there just with uh uh, how easy they are to like take home and prepare yourself too. Uh, totally. When you get them frozen that. and you just yeah. fry them uh, up. Yeah. It's so good. I've been wanting Delicious. to do like a progy truck stand. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One day. <laughs> I'm One day I think all I for that. that. Let me know how I can help. <laughs> yeah. Add some are one of those, uh, yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. That's, that's like my go-to comfort food. If I'm ever, you know, feeling a little bit cozy or down just grab a bunch of pierogies and have a pierogi party. So comforting. Pierogi party. <laughs> yeah. That sounds nice. Yeah, it's a good party. <laughs> Everyone's invited. Yeah. So, okay. So kind of the natural progression you're going through, uh, kinesiology, uh, your family, uh, foragers, and then the transition from, you know, just regular mushrooms into psychedelic mushrooms. And how did yeah. that come about? Like, tell me kind of that story of who did you meet? Who like got you onto it? Were you familiar with uh, like, had you done some like tripping on your own and, and um, experienced the medicine? Yeah, so I did experience it and, and um, experiment with it. Not like at a very young age, like quite recently actually. Um, mm. I think the crossover for me was being in the the yoga and meditation breathwork realm. Right. And, you know, kind of going more into like spirituality and and um, exploring in that realm brought me to psychedelics. So um, I found such similarities to like when I was tripping um, my brain when I was meditating or in like a deep, deep trance meditation. I found it so similar. Mm. And, um, you know, my thesis was more around like neurophysiology and biomechanics and so I was most curious about like how the brain was on psychedelics and the neuroplasticity that occurs um the brain the the patterns the repatterning of the default mode network um so that is kind of what really sparked my curiosity of it and some personal stories around like environmental induced um, mental health and overcoming it. Um, I was kind of in a place right when the pandemic hit where I finished school, I moved back from BC, I just got out of a relationship, everything kind of initiated this like transformative path for me where I literally had a blank canvas and had to see it as an opportunity you know, and I say like crisis is your greatest opportunity. Absolutely. And I actually like found found ways in which to manifest what I wanted mm. and find my own identity and sort of mm-hmm. pave my own path. And so that crisis became the biggest gift um, right. and has been like unfolding since then. Yeah, amazing. So, so yeah, that's kind of been that's kind of been a journey. And once I, I also saw like a personal friend of mine undergo like a flood dose therapy, mm-hmm. and saw the effects of it. And I was like, okay, a flood this dose. Is, well, that's I guess that's the, the 
the pharmaceutical term that people use now for macro dosing. Okay. It's like cool. a flood dose. So they just flood uh -huh. the brain. And what's, um, what's considered to be a flood dose? Like how many, um, like milligrams or, or grams of psilocybin? Um, depends on the, um, body weight ratio mm. to it. So it could be anything between, I don't know, two to five grams, to gotcha. six grams. It depends on, depends on the body weight. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So after my friend's macro dose and seeing the changes pre and post, I was like, okay, this, this is a new industry that I have to get involved with. Yeah. <laughs> and so I made it my mission to just get in there and wow. manifest and work and connect with as many people as I could and learn from people within the industry. Um, so that, yeah, that kind of initiated it. And now I work for um, a psilocybin-based um, pharmaceutical startup. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at drug development. And um, yeah, just the whole landscape fascinates me because there's so much pivoting that occurs at all times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, really operating in a very know. gray area, right? Totally. And, yeah. you know, looking at different countries and um, the legality behind it, the... Uh, proprietary IP um, development, the regulatory, dealing with the government, mm -hmm. um, com competitors. So there's a bit of a interesting race to IP and clinical trials yep. going on. And then also looking at the balance between, you know, psychedelics as, as medicines, plant medicines, mm -hmm. and honoring yep. the indigenous roots from that. Right. Um, it's something very dear to my heart. And you know, going from plant medicines to big pharma, there's going mm -hmm. to be this really interesting um, evolution struggle. and yeah. power struggle and, you know, giving credit where credit is needed. Right. Because um, it seems and, almost uh, yeah. counterintuitive to, um, you know, like develop, develop certain strains or certain drugs that can be uh, intellectual property. Right. In the space of where, you know, and what I would love to hear from you from kind of being on the inside and working with a, a research and development company, is it fairly collaborative? Um, is it kind of cards close to your chest? Uh, how are these different companies kind of communicating with each other? They're not. It's very, <laughs> it's very competitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, cards are very close Big to money your chest. Involved. Yeah. Um, capital is i find the market really really interesting and mm. how that's going to go because it's a bit of a it's the wild west right now absolutely um it's kind of the i guess the new cannabis people are saying although yeah, there is sure. there is differences in that it's not it's not going to be recreationalized at mm -hmm. least in canada yeah. um that's all I, all I can speak for but um you know there's going to be more control over it as it should because it is a medicine and shouldn't be um abused because yeah. the potential of it is incredible and we have yeah. one chance to do it right no um, and, it, and i really believe that it can solve the mental health crisis and even bring us closer to connection to nature and Absolutely. start to bring about you know more sustainable behavioral changes mm -hmm. so I, bringing I in more interconnectedness more yeah yeah that's um i think like one of the one of the best phrases that I've started to hear more and more over and over is um, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy because uh, 
up until, you know, probably the last few months, uh, talk, a lot of people talking about like psychedelic therapy and I've done some psychedelic therapy on my own. Um, and by on my own, I mean, literally just in my bedroom taking, you know, five grams of mushrooms, uh, <laughs> and just seeing what would happen, you know, putting a blindfold on, listening to some music and just kind of going through my own journey. Um, and I think what I got out of that is that the, the psychotherapy side, right? It's so like the psychedelic assisted. It's like the psychedelics can be enough. You can have some pretty powerful experiences, but then sitting with a therapist and doing that integration, uh, that like post integration and then the, um, you know, you're set, like preparing for it is where mm -hmm. I feel like the real power lies from that, that therapeutic side. So that's been yeah. a, a big thing um, that I've been really thinking about lately. Yeah. And it's so, you know, multifactorial. And one of the reasons, like, I never wanted to go into pharmaceuticals because I'm uh, more holistic um, mm. in the way that I look at health. Um, right. I think it has a place, the right time and place and whatnot. But mm -hmm. what I really liked about pharmaceutical industry or the psychedelic industry is how disruptive it is to yes. pharmaceuticals and um, the potential to bring about more of a holistic, integrative therapy and connect so many dots um right. and still so many gaps yeah, um yeah. you know and it's once the drugs are developed once we go through these clinical trials and you know you can go so many different ways mm -hmm. you know the type of drug whether it's synthetic whether it's naturally derived how it's um extracted how it's purified the whole process the whole mm. um whole process in the lab can differentiate and that's what's sort of mapping out the IP um, strategies right. within some of these companies yep. um, however that's great we have a drug so now mm -hmm. what like right. it's, this is it's amazing because most SSRIs are just as good as a placebo <laughs> I've found right. mm -hmm. um, however now what it's, it's almost more important to focus then on the integration aspect of it absolutely and that's when that's when the real magic can happen with this therapy and and change the whole mental health uh industry yeah so there's and so much change, room for that change like society as a whole that's a long game vision right but you think mm -hmm. about um you think about traumas that people are experiencing in their early years and then like living those out and replaying that through adulthood, you know, which can lead to some pretty nasty habits, habits and uh, situations. Um, and if we were working on this stuff from an earlier age, and let's say we just took, started to, to cipher out some of the money from um, the side of the healthcare system, that's very reactive, right? It's just like, taking care of all these problems and we started to move that into the proactive side where everyone, you know, not just wealthy people, <laughs> which is, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe where this will start with a lot of uh, psychedelic therapies. Um, you know, it's going to be expensive to go through it. I think I, I saw one, uh, a couple treatments was like $2,000 for a ketamine therapy. And, and that's great to see that moving through. Um, but even, even with just uh, regular, counseling uh, assistance for for people in Canada it's expensive like if you don't have health benefits it's hard to get mental health therapy mm -hmm. right so um, when we see that start to move in and like become 
largely accessible. A lot of these like down the line health problems and the system being very reactive to um, people developing um, all sort of like stress related diseases, right? That's, that's what I think I'm very excited to see that shift in kind of how do we get ahead of these problems? And I believe that psychedelics are one of the things that we have a huge shot at really making a difference there. Um, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is just one of those, yeah. Um, exciting industries where, yeah, like we can actually do something about this. Yeah. There's definitely a space for it. And I think like, it's a great, it's a great initiator. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there definitely still needs to be a lot more research that goes into it, which I'm, it's great to see like how much is coming out of the pipeline, how many um, research institutions are signing some of these startups on and opening up more psychedelic um, research centers. Um, I'm curious to see how the long-term effects are with these psychedelics, because right. like we said, like integration being one of the most important aspects of this therapy is like, how can we, lengthen the effects um, of right. these therapies because once it's initiated I think there's a study that came out of Johns Hopkins that you know said that there's an average of between six to 18 months where there's this effect and then your right. default mode network starts to repattern or go back to its original behaviors right so how do we start to create those new ski slopes as Michael Pollan talks about yeah, yeah. in the default mode network right yeah I love that analogy. Um, yeah, the snow and falling how, down and covering the old tracks so that yeah. new tracks can be formed. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do we form those new behavioral pathways? And that's what really mm. gets me excited is like, how can we implement behavioral changes for people and decondition their thought patterns? So after they have that flood dose, how can we change those behavioral patterns? And to me, I believe that it can be done in a very like holistic manner, you know, through cognitive behavioral therapy through um, clinical psychology, but also implementing mindfulness and yoga and all these different modalities right. that can lengthen the long-term effects of this therapy so that they don't right. have to keep going, taking it over and over again. Absolutely. You know? And that's, that's the difference in the education side and the integration side of using psychedelics versus traditional pharmaceuticals is that Traditional pharmaceuticals are always just that band-aid, right? It's like, you know, take this and call me in the morning and come back and, you know, in a month we'll refill your prescription and you just keep taking them. And you could ask, you know, 10 out of 10 doctors if you're on SSRIs, well, what else should I be doing? And, you know, they might say, drink lots of water, get sleep. But um, where's the integrative, like, habitual changes that are being recommended to us? Dietary changes, mindfulness, meditation. That is something where this space has a huge opportunity to bring that in and like really encourage people to integrate that into their daily lives. Um, I, I find too, after I do um, a larger dose of psilocybin, I naturally want to meditate more as well. Like I feel more connected. I feel more grounded. Mm -hmm. I just want to take more time, more space. I want to spend more time in nature. So it's this kind of a natural push towards mm -hmm. those uh, practices as well, which is just an unbelievable, uh, beautiful thing to experience. Yeah. Well, I think because um, you're not afraid of your mind and so many people try to escape their mind. And once yeah. you undergo that flood dose, 
you make friends with your mind mm-hmm. all you want to do is be in it you know it's totally. like <laughs> it seems like a pretty fun more, place all of a sudden yeah, yeah you create this hospitable environment mm-hmm. and you you actually have like a natural affinity to to go into your go into your mind and elicit that and i found like since my since um i had a really really great macro dose a couple months ago and since then i found that you know trans transcendental meditation deep deep meditation elicits a similar response Mm -hmm. so if we can implement that to people after they have this blood dose then the results will continue. The effects will be longer. However, from a finance perspective and a scalability, like business yep. perspective, <laughs> that's not scalable. Right. Right. So back to the money that's problem. That's what I'm super curious about is like mm-hmm. how these startups are going to make their businesses scalable. Will they focus on the drugs and the therapy? And, you know, I don't know. I, um, I think that. I think the from the business side, kind of what we touched on earlier is the opportunity for these businesses to like we talk about the integration, right? And, and you know, it, it's not easy. Like we're we're creatures of habit, right? Especially um, if you're someone into adulthood or like later adulthood, you've got some pretty hardened patterns that if you go into a flood dose, maybe for that first month or or six weeks or eight weeks, you're gonna feel really good about keeping up and, you know, doing some meditation, mindfulness practices, changing your diet, um, living in, spending time in nature. Um, and I think for businesses, it's going to be that, um, people getting the mental health, uh, therapy that they need, uh, in a longer form and that integrating into society, right? Again, then it becomes, how do we redirect a lot more of our money that's being pumped into the healthcare system to just having these services be available to people mm-hmm. that are not expensive, that you don't need mm-hmm. to even have like health benefits or, or, or anything, right? Like you can just go maybe do a flood dose and then see a therapist every week that is trained in the medicine that can work with you and keep you on track, you know, to, towards uh, just living a, a calmer, better life. Right. So the that could be, that could be the business, be right? Yeah. Um, and you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. So, and I'm also curious to see like where it goes from like a market access perspective. I think, Mm -hmm. I think so many doctors and therapists are very intrigued on it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's like that well known yet though. Like it hasn't really transpired too much. Forget that I'm, I work in like a bubble. No kidding. I know. You know? I'm over here on Vancouver Island. It's just <laughs> my, my own bubble over here, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think like, you know, when I speak to doctors and nurses and, and therapists and stuff, it's still not, it's, it's definitely not recognized. There's a curiosity for it. But I think like the timeline of it is we're still like five to 10 years out. Oh, absolutely. Totally. And it's, like it's the kind of going to be like a yeah right i think it's going to be really really transformative and um and radical mm -hmm. but um yeah and and it'll be interesting to see like which companies act first so you know we're seeing like in in the uk and germany like they've been doing this research for a while like Mm -hmm. compass and a tie they started like over five years ago um so there is 
a really interesting race to clinical trials. Um, when, once patents become public, because it takes mm-hmm. 18 months for a patent to become public and, and out there, um, it'll be interesting to see what companies perish, which companies get acquired. Right. Like, mm-hmm. There's going to be a bit of shuffling. And it's similar to the Absolutely. cannabis industry. There's going to be like a big boom and then right. and then a settling, right? So it's well, yeah, interesting. When, when legalization hit in, uh, in, what was it, October 2018? I know I was definitely holding the bag on some uh, some uh, cannabis companies that didn't do so well. Right. The big crash, right? Um, yeah. And everything was overvalued, and a lot of money got yeah. sucked out of the system, which again is unfortunate because uh, that hurts a lot of the companies that were that were working. And then you know, once all the investors pull out because they were playing, you know, the, the money game. Um, a lot of these companies had to go under, and and mm-hmm. therefore stop working on on their different projects. So we will yeah. see that again with this space. <laughs> um, well, supply but again, and demand, right? And, and totally. also like the black market, how that yeah. will be managed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, how, how will the, how the government the black will... market integrate into <laughs> the legal market when that starts to happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and even from like a, a business perspective of pricing, a price point to do a right. flood dose, macro dose, like, right. What's to say that someone won't just do a dose on their own in a in in their home or in a safe right. setting and then under and then go to their therapist and talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I don't know. There's I think there's a lot of question marks. So the more resilient and the more you know flexible these companies are, yeah. the better. Right. Um, but I think. There's definitely a space for it. I think there's a reason why so many people are wanting to get involved in this in the Absolutely. in the medical space. Um, so it'll just yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it takes just kind of going out there and, and facing the fear. And I talk about the deconditioning a lot. Growing up, thinking that psychedelics were gonna like destroy my brain forever if I ever touched them, right? Like. LSD, I'd go crazy and jump off a bridge. A lot of fear right. tactics. And jump so, out the window, the classic one. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. Scary stuff, right? Like, you know, mm. lose your mind, never be the same. Like, you couldn't have certain jobs if you took LSD or if you took mushrooms. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I remember hearing those ones in early high school, talking to my guidance counselors. <laughs> uh, and so there's that, there's that feeling and there's that stigma around psychedelics. And I felt it the first time I was doing it. I was like, I don't know about this. Like kind of just trusted my friends who, um, handed me a, you know, few mushrooms and, and off we went and everything was fine. Nothing bad happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what's amazing to see is these studies come out of just how safe, um, ketamine, LSD, psilocybin is compared to, um, alcohol, caffeine, (laughs) All the, yeah. the standardized drugs that we we love to use to just like get us up in the morning and, and put us to bed at night, right? Mm-hmm. That are just so socially normalized, um, but cause if we're going to talk about problems in the healthcare system, um, you know how much money do we spend on alcoholism, right? And just what a really interesting thing that I experienced from my last. Um, I'll call it a flood dose because I like that. I like your terminology there. <laughs> uh, 
was that for about five weeks afterwards, the thought of drinking alcohol just didn't appeal to me at all. And I enjoy alcohol. Like I love, uh, I used to drink a lot. I don't, I don't drink as much, um, anymore. I like to have a couple beers on a nice day and glass of wine Mm -hmm. with dinner, but even just like the small amount just seemed a little bit, it was just, uh, there was that hesitation Mm -hmm. there where I was like, I don't really feel the need to, uh, to put that on my body right now, which was, a an interesting experience just to see again, um, that different, different way that your brain, uh, gets rewired after a dose like that changes, just shakes everything up, right? Your habits are kind of turned upside down. And then there's a chance to kind of, like you said earlier, rewrite, um, you know, how you want to live in your daily life. So yeah, you have the choice to start a new story, a new chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, I love how psychedelics are also targeting, you know, pain, inflammation, addictions, Mm. um, and the efficacy around that, because at the end of the day, you know, addictions, addiction and, and mental health, it, it does stem from genetics and our, you know, our entropy, as Dr. Robin Carhart Harris just spoke about in one of his recent studies. And entropy from a thermodynamics perspective is like disorder. So disorder in the brain, how much, how much disorder is, is going on and um, how some people are more genetically predisposed to addiction from past genetics you know like if your parents were alcoholics you have a higher chance of being an Mm -hmm. alcoholic or smoker whatever the case may be and so yeah there's there's the genetic factor but then there's also the environmental factor so looking at both sides and seeing you know how how we can repattern our brain and look at the epigenetic effects of psychedelics and how we can actually um, modulate that mm-hmm. from a genetic Could perspective. Could you explain epigenetics? Yes. It's, epigenetics <laughs> is the interaction with um, us and the environment. And so mm. we're constantly turning on and off genes daily with our consumption, with our environment, with what we consume, our diet, our exercise, everything. And so um, it's our ability to change the genetics that we um, inherited, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's. I mean, I don't think there have been many studies at all on the epigenetic effects of psilocybin right. or or psychedelics that I know of. <laughs> I'm trying to think of our reference library. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's getting pretty big. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I, I don't think. Yeah, from a genetic perspective, that hasn't really been looked at too much. However, like people that are predisposed to mental health issues. Um, mm-hmm. I find that really, really interesting. And, and their interactions and maybe their sensitivity to mental health um, issues from experiences, from conditioning, and how mm-hmm. that kind of is interwoven. You know, um, <clears throat> intergenerational trauma as well. Mm-hmm. Like, not just trauma from this life, but past lives and like right. how that's passed on to, to genetics. Um, and, and that's affects our entropy, right. our entropy in our brain. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very multifactorial, but, and that's, I think that's why in the healthcare system, it just hasn't been, it hasn't been appropriately addressed. Right. And 
you know, stigma of psychedelics has definitely affected that and delayed that, you know, and, and looking back on like the history of psychedelics were, was our society ready for it at the Mm. time? Do we have the research? Do we have the technology to assess it when it came Mm. out in the Mm sixties? Don't know, you know, um, escaped the labs. So, and beforehand, like it had been used around the world in indigenous communities as a spiritual right. um, connector. Yeah. So, yeah, I, me personally, I don't want that aspect to be lost. But you know, when you look at it from of like a science not. and medical perspective, might be. Yeah, um, uh, probably on. I mean, uh, on a lot of us Westerners here, it's it's hard unless you've lived in uh, one of those communities. Uh, and been like immersed in that culture, it might be a little bit difficult to comprehend. But I, I believe that it still needs to be an important part of the the education and the understanding of of like the the history and the roots of these medicines and psychedelics. Um, that's absolutely important uh, to really know. You know, we're not uh, over here in the West. We're definitely not just like pioneers. Like this is <laughs> this is nothing. It's not new technology. It's been around, and people have been using it for thousands right. and thousands of years, right? So, right. Uh, listen see, to like, those companies. people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like let's listen to more of those people. Let's talk to more of those people. Let's get that that insight um, that it has been passed down generation to generation. Those stories and those experiences, instead of just kind of starting from scratch here and um, thinking that we can, you know, just tear apart the the psilocybin. Um, whatever you want to call it, the molecule or the, the, the drug itself and, and re-engineer it and do this and do that with it. And uh, yeah, let's really understand why we started using it in the first place and how we started using it in the first place. Yeah. Back to the it roots. It comes down to like the storytelling of, of it and corporate responsibility and, yeah. um, you know, even if you are manufacturing it in a lab and, and extracting it and purifying it or creating it synthetically, I still think that, you know, it's the same compound and is giving a similar effect. So, right. you know, it's important to give credit where it's due. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so there's some interesting articles right now that are coming out around IP and, hmm. you know, you can't really patent a mushroom. Yeah. Patenting <laughs> nature. You... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Although so I... many pharmaceuticals have come from naturally derived Right, right. And I think, you know, the money isn't important. Like, we can't ignore that um, the amount of money coming into this space is going to drive things forward. It's going to change things. Uh, We have to try our best not to lose our connection to the roots of why, you know, why these medicines and where these medicines came from, why they were used in the first place. Um, But without without the big money coming in um, to lobby government, to start to maybe reduce some of that, that fear, those fear campaigns that have been pumped into our minds for so many years and decondition everyone. Psychedelics wouldn't really have a chance to get um, onto like a mass, uh, a mass use scale, right? Where, where everyone has the options to use them and, and can feel safe about using them. Right. So it's, yeah, like kind of, we started by the the push and pull, right. Of, um, of, uh, psychedelic age-old medicines and 
big pharma money kind of like that those two worlds merging in that power struggle it's going to be very interesting to watch i think it's super cool that you're getting to see it and work on it on the inside um from an inside perspective and i like i just like the way that your 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 evolution in, into this space came in from a very like good place of uh mushroom foraging holistic healing and we need a lot of people like yourself in that space that like bring that energy to understand that it's not just about who's going to win and who's going to get to be first and this IP, that IP and all that. So, yeah, thanks. I think it's like kind of a hybridized version because I, there's two sides to my brain. There's like more. Yeah, of you're an investor as well. We were well, talking the other day yeah. about totally. you know, the public. public and we were <laughs> chatting back and so forth. Anticipated. Yeah. 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 Refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's uh, yeah, it's For good sure. to have that balance, though, right? Yeah, the balance between like holistic, um, you know, indigenous roots and um, also the science. There's there's such a big place for science. Science drives. So mm. does so does finance. And um, you know, I've I've always been interested in rewiring capitalism and looking mm-hmm. at it not not ruling it out because we need we need currency we need finance yeah. to drive change totally. and be effective change agents yeah but, and healthy competition right between right. people who might have um, you know their goal might be to scale a company and sell it for 500 million dollars and that's what's driving them but if the the actual result behind that is pushing forward something that is ultimately very very good for society then you know that's something that I think we should regulate and embrace. Yeah. And and you know like my boss always says like at the end of the day we want to do good for people. You have to play the game. You have right. to play the capital game. Mm-hmm. To do good for people and get it to the masses. Right. Right? So so long as it comes from a good place in your heart mm-hmm. and that's at the forefront of every decision that you make, mm-hmm. then that's where it'll drive it, right? But you can't sleep, like, there's not, you can hug as many trees as you want, but it's not going to help the mental health epidemic. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? yeah. You gotta, it's gonna cost money to get that message out there and, and make it accessible for people. I couldn't agree more. Um, right. So could you tell us a little bit, just kind of like, What's your what's your day to day like in working um, in the the psychedelic R and D space? Like, what are what do you really? Um, what's your mm-hmm. position? Are you allowed to talk about that? Uh, I could touch upon it. Um, okay. I think my role has changed like weekly. Yeah, like you said to me earlier, really like, we're all just figuring it out as we go. Yeah, and right? you know, Emerging there's a space. constant pivot, but that's like the excitement of it, and. Before I got into psychedelics, I was um, really interested in sustainability and and startups. And I did an internship with a venture capital firm in Toronto just to learn more about the space mm. um, and and understand the whole process of startups. I think like it's such a sexy area, but I just like yeah. love innovation. Right. I love I love when things um, are disruptive. Mm-hmm. and changing radically um yeah entrepreneurship's <laughs> gotten very very hot in the last uh probably with the rise of social media right yeah entrepreneurships are like 
rock stars now, right? Like it's uh, yeah. there are new celebrities, <laughs> and startups are, are they're very they are very exciting. They're uh, they're yeah. fun and they're scary and weird, and you don't really know what's going to happen, but it's a fun way to work and operate. Definitely a fun way to work, um, and I've I also coming out of school for most of my life, I wanted to learn as much as I could as quick as I could. Mm-hmm. And for me, that meant being in a startup. But, you know, when I was in my pandemic crisis, <laughs> <laughs> we'll call that yeah. my quarter life crisis. That's good. Um, just I was happened like, to be a pandemic going on during your quarter <laughs> yeah. life crisis. Yeah, just timing. Super timely and yeah. uh, very, very serendipitous. That's the catchphrase of 2020 to 2021. Everything mm-hmm. that came into my life was pure serendipity. Um, which I've, I've loved. And I told myself, I made a promise to myself that whatever, like I'm not, I don't want to rush into a corporate job. Mm-hmm. I can't sit for too long anyways, but yeah, <laughs> it's a standing desk. Yeah. Um, but I told myself that I would go into something that I really, really believed would drive change that I was passionate mm-hmm. about, that I would learn quick from and and this is you know how i came across it and every single day i've i've learned a ton and i've learned i have a really really amazing team that mm-hmm. i work with and um it's just good people and i think that from a corporate culture perspective culture is everything mm-hmm. because then that's where everything Absolutely. comes from internal to the external and yes. um yeah, so my, my day-to-day changes a lot. I work on the finance side. I work on the um, drug development side with the research. Uh, did a bit of branding when we had our mushroom brand. Um, yeah, so... Um, you're very much living like possible. the... Yeah, you're living like the <laughs> entrepreneurial... research development, yeah. Right. Yeah, but you're having to wear many different hats as the yeah. the beast kind of like shape shifts as yeah. not just as startups do, but a startup in a emerging market uh, illegal space. Yeah. Very, very crazy. Uh, what can you tell us about from your knowledge the, around uh, the interesting dynamic of the legalities in what you guys are working on? Because I know like, yeah. uh, for example, um, Numinous, they they were the first company in Canada to get uh, a legal license for co- growing and cultivating psilocybin mushrooms, correct? From a PR perspective, yes. Um, <laughs> Is that not the case? <laughs> oh, can't, shit. Can't disclose. Okay. But, all right. You know, we got an insider here. This is good stuff. <laughs> From... A Health Canada perspective, like that's a whole other thing that I'm really interested in is like the exemptions, the whole process right. with exemptions. And mm-hmm. most of the companies that are saying that they have Health Canada exemptions have an associate affiliation to a university. So uh, yes. they're able right. to license and produce and research mm. that um, substance in a university. I think there's only two institutions, Sygen and next that mm. isn't affiliated with the university and is a licensed manufacturer. Right. So this is another really interesting space is like supply and demand for clinical trials. Right. And finding um, the active pharmaceutical ingredients companies that will produce it 
mm-hmm. and manufacture it for clinical trials. Right. And so now you're speaking on um, pharmaceutical companies that are already in the space with their own drugs that are willing to take that risk or? They need to look for manufacturers right. to produce the active pharmaceutical ingredient, whether it being naturally derived mm-hmm. and um, extracted and purified or synthesized in the lab. Gotcha. So like they, if they have like a health Canada exemption, which a handful of them do, um, they also need to produce now a ton of psilocybin mm-hmm. and the amount. And, and here's another thing with the drug development is like the mushrooms uh, are great. However, we need to extract the psilocybin from it because right. there's a whole bunch of compounds from there. And then there's a slew of variability between potency. Mm-hmm. So we need to find like a level that is normalized right. and, and, and the same and constant. So that's a whole other um, laboratory question of like, how, how can we normalize it? And how can we decrease the variability between right. the compounds? So mm-hmm. there, you can't you can't just grind up a mushroom like we do in the <laughs> <laughs> Throw it in the blender with everything else. Yeah. <laughs> we can't do that. Yeah. So that means we need a like a shit ton of yield right. to extract it and purify right. it to get it to that psilocybin. Mm-hmm. So the supply so and demand. Really know the dose. That yeah. You're giving to people. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's going to drive the price of these therapies is is the purification process and Uh, you know getting rid of those um compounds that may affect the trip and the safety and toxicity and Mm. um and the estimated dose yeah what are some of the compounds that um could be potentially harmful for a therapeutic trip um not that many but Mm. yeah they're (laughs) like <laughs> if you read the investigators brochure at Usona Institute, there's Usona Institute. a great long, and it's a non-for-profit and they believe in, you know, making, having accessibility for psilocybin for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, and they, they have like a whole list of adverse effects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not for everybody. People that are, bipolar, people that are schizophrenic, people that are um, predisposed to um, of schizophrenia and uh, what's the word? Um, I forget. Like personality a, disorder? Yeah, so personality disorder. There's a whole list. Um, they can't, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be consuming, right? Because they're right. Um, predisposed to to the adverse effects yeah. that may arise, right? right. So yeah. um, not for everybody. And so there needs to be sort of that list and screening process for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and okay. so, yeah, you can you can look up the Stone Institute investigators for sure mm-hmm. um, around that. that. Like a very, so, very fun rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So it's interesting. There's so many different areas. There's the, there's the therapeutic integration, there's the science, there's the whole drug development, um, biochemistry um, aspects, finance. So it's really interesting to be working in all the different areas and constantly yeah, changing. Like there's 
always neuroplasticity occurring <laughs> in the yeah. office. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Constant learning. Yeah. yeah. So I've loved it so far. And Amazing. Uh, I'm and really excited have... to see where it goes. Yeah. And so kind of beginning of the pandemic, you set this intention. Um, <clears throat> and then you've been working with them for how long now? Uh, about eight or nine months. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I've, just... I've been watching the space and it's been, uh, it's just been crazy how fast everything's moving. Um, yeah. Not only just the timing, right? I think the first company, um, the first company to go public in Canada was MindMed back in March of, of 2020. So like right as the pandemic hit and then mm. pandemic hits, um, a bunch of money gets pumped into the system and off we go. Right. So it was a, a very interesting catalyst, I think, to, to see, um, uh, all this new money be created uh, as we did when, when the pandemic hit and we didn't have a choice cause we had to, you know, pause the world for a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that being a, a crazy catalyst for finance, the stock market to go to these all time highs. And now there's just being so much money in the system for everyone to, to work on this and, and do this research. So I'm, yeah. I'm amazed by the speed of everything. It's kind of <laughs> scary. And I can't even imagine being, being in it every day. You talk about neuroplasticity and learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gotta be a, a wild time in there. I'd love to be a fly in the wall of your office. Well, Brent, it's been a trip. Um, but it's it's interesting how when the pandemic hit nobody knew what was going to happen and everybody expected the markets to just tank and us to go into this huge yeah a bit like we were expecting a recession or even depression right Mm -hmm. and that didn't seem to fire up those money printers and got us out of it real quick yeah here we are. A lot of, right. You know, a lot of cannabis money did go into um, psychedelics true. now. So there's right. a huge, there's a huge bridge between that. There's a lot of people yeah. from the cannabis space going into the psychedelic right. space. That, that did very well there, and and they know how to operate in that that gray zone as well, right? Which is, um, that's very good education, I think, to have of like we've been here before, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure if you if you built a uh, a cannabis company, let's say through, you know, 2014, 2015 through to legalization. Um, they've probably got some relationships with the government and, and, uh, law or legal authorities and, uh, the federal government, uh, to just navigate that. Right. So I would love to learn more about how those conversations are happening behind closed doors. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any insight on those, that might be a higher level. Maybe the CEOs we want having that, uh, and the founders are having those conversations with, uh, you know, getting Trudeau on the phone and uh, and having those little backroom talks. Yeah, I think like there's a lot of the same legal counsel from cannabis now in psychedelics because they know the way. Yeah, to drive. They've got the connections. The they know to how have to those conversations, it. how to word it, everything. Um, I'm not in the legal space. So right. I, I yeah. can't really Maybe say much on that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I do find like the Health Canada exemptions and following following that with veterans and uh, end of life patients really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's hard to obtain, but if you do have like a good legal counsel, I think like there's more there's more initiatives. There's more like Sarah Saul is doing amazing yeah. work um, yeah. for that, and it's that. only driving our research more and it's only like helping tell the story more of how efficacious these, these really can be. Um, 
in so many different target indications. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, um, we've been watching Theracil closely here over the past year in Victoria. Um, and, and seeing, yeah, these nurses really like shouting at the top of their lungs, uh, as much as they can, uh, via social media to, to be allowed to do the experiential portion of their, their therapy. Cause if they're going to be helping people with, um, you know, uh, end of life, end of life process, I guess, um, in using, uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, they need to be able to understand what their patients are going to go through. Right. Um, mm. and yeah, I know and, and a few of them have actually got the exemption, which is great. Um, we need a whole bunch more and we need a lot more nurses to actually step up and, and go into that. I know a ton of people are excited and nervous and they, they want to, they want to take the plunge into that world. Um, but there's definitely no shortage of people that, that need help with, with terminal illness, um, mm -hmm. and just kind of, um, making peace with, with what's coming. Right. So they can, they can leave, leave the world as gracefully as possible and, mm -hmm. and just sit with their families. And Mackenzie and I spoke about this a lot on our, uh, our first podcast of, uh, of both like losing a parent and, um, and just seeing, yeah, the, the fallout of your family members, right. And just how psychedelics can play a role in that. So I think that's, um, that's just an amazing place to see legal psychedelics pushing into first. Right. I'm excited to see where that goes. Same, same. And I can even touch upon that in like a personal mm. experience of mine yeah. with, with death and loss and like mm. how psychedelics changed my fear of death. I think like I was never like super, super afraid of dying, but like once, um, when I had my macro dose, I, I experienced the feeling of death, Leaving. um, yeah. of, of being completely dead. And I was like, well, I could be dead right now. So whatever. <laughs> and, and kind yeah. of making friends with it and being like, this right. isn't so bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. like I was literally in a box at the bottom of the ocean and completely pitch black. Wow. And, and after that, I, started being really interested in people's perceptions of death and not even from a spiritual perspective, but like an out of body experience that people have. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find that really, really interesting. And there's definitely a space um, for that for end of life patients, whether they experience, like everyone has a different experience and whatnot, but yeah. you know, whatever's, whatever's top of mind mm -hmm. um, comes up in your trip, right? Yeah. So if they're afraid you, of dying. What do you think, uh, yeah, what do you think that is? That, cause that's um, across, across most of the psychedelics from um, everybody that I've, I've spoken with that have done heavier doses, uh, therapeutic doses. There is this experience of, of death and a lot of people call it like the ego death, right? Um, what do you, like from your, from your experience, what did you, how could you maybe, um, explain it to make sense in your own mind of, of what you experienced sitting at the bottom of the ocean there like what was that what what happened there well I think it was a mix of the like sensory deprivation and the music that I was listening to mm. so the person that was sitting in for me played like whale noises 
Okay. Um, and so it elicited this really interesting, like, rebirth and death. And, um, you know, you go into a trip, like, thinking of, like, your intentions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And facing your fears, all this stuff. You go into different doors, different doors of perception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it was so interesting because I my hands were freezing cold. I stopped feeling sensation in my body Mm. and it was just pitch black and it was just the sound of like water at the bottom of the ocean and and it was just pitch black and and I noticed this is probably where the ego death came in I noticed me wanting to bring light into the situation Mm. um and I've always been I'd like to say I was I've always been like a very positive bubbly person Mm -hmm. and almost afraid of negativity and not having that like weight and depth and sort of sitting in this like positive superficiality. So it was a really interesting experience for me to witness and feel that weight and that depth and not feel afraid of darkness Hmm. and actually appreciate it and make friends with it and see the balance between the light and the dark. It was really interesting how the ego sort of wanted to, light it up and fix yep. the situation yeah, yeah. and then at that moment i was like no surrender mm. take the light away and just sit in darkness and it's not that bad right. and then after that i was then moved into this beautiful beautiful like white golden pure blissful tunnel hmm. um getting the, really the interesting like talks about the white tunnel what? <laughs> to die to then how is it all the same on. it's amazing right like How do we all experience something so similar? Uh, It's got to be something more than just uh, our individual experiences. There's, there's a connectedness going on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very, very cool. Very inspiring. Totally. Totally. And it's almost like that, um, that like end of life experience that people have going through the tunnel, that Mm -hmm. white tunnel, that out of body experience that we have where our, our senses are heightened. Mm. Right. And, um, there's a really interesting documentary that I watched called um, The Pyramid Code. I'm so obsessed with. Okay. <laughs> the Pyramid Code, and it talks about, um, you know, the Egyptians and the purpose of, of pyramids. And mm. um, I remember one of the professors talking about how, you know, in our day and age, we have five senses. But if we look back on their old scriptures, they talked about having 30 and the use mm. of plant medicines and psychedelics and how they they had heightened senses they were way more interconnected Mm. with astrology with nature with one another there was more synergy Mm. um occurring and um that's that synergy is something that i really hope psychedelics will bring into our society more more interconnection within ourselves within others within nature and just have more overall interconnectedness love it yeah that's fantastic i think we should on the interconnectedness note let's uh and speaking on death let's uh let's cap it there that's a beautiful way to end this conversation um (laughs) thank you so much for for joining us today and and having this this conversation um and you're going to be out here at the end of august you said yes so we can do another one face to face we can talk yeah. more. You'll have yeah. 
gonna have two more months of uh, of neuroplasticity from being in that uh, that R and D incubator, and I can't wait to hear <laughs> what else you've you've learned and discovered. So, uh, thanks again, Alana. This has been yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor yeah. to to speak with you guys about it and share my my passions and love and and hear from you guys too. Yeah, right on. Just keep doing it. Keep going. <laughs> awesome. Okay. We'll chat soon. Yeah. Talk okay. soon. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye.